When President Biden addresses the nation this afternoon, he's expected to call for changes to the filibuster so lawmakers can pass voting rights legislation. The stakes, he and other Democrats say, couldn't be higher. Over the past year, at least 19 states have passed laws making it harder to vote. Among other measures, we're seeing stricter voter ID requirements and limits on early voting and voting by mail. The president calls this the biggest test of American democracy since the Civil War. And he says the time has come for national standards that would override recent state laws. Now, our next guest is pushing for voting rights in an entirely different way. Since January 6th, Reverend Otis Moss III has been on a hunger strike with two dozen religious leaders from around the country. He's the pastor of Trinity United Church of Christ on Chicago's South Side, and he joins us now. Welcome, Reverend. Thank you. It's good to be on with you. So tell us, why did you decide to launch a hunger strike to push for voting rights? Well, a group of us, about 24 ministers across the country, uh, led by Reverend Stephen Green out of Harlem, New York, who is the chair of of Faith for Black Lives, uh, pulled us together, and we talked about what action could we do that would bring attention to voting rights and a hunger strike, which is uh, spiritual and has been a part of, of progressive action for, uh, for, for hundreds of years uh, to bring attention to critical uh, moral issues uh, in, in our country. What do you see as the stakes here? Um, in the words of one hip-hop artist, uh, the stakes are high. Um, the stakes are high because the current laws that have been put in place by states across the country, I'm currently in, in Georgia right now, and the laws that were put in place by state legislatures are uh, disenfranchising so many people of color. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning of, of the broadcast uh, everything from removing polling places to uh, early voting, in-person voting, mail-in voting uh, is really disenfranchising uh, a large portion of the electorate. Uh, since people of African descent arrived in this country, we have been attempting to uh, push America to live up to its promises, and that promise one of the simple constitutional promises is the idea of the right to vote. And the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Advancement Act is one piece of legislation uh, that will ensure there is a national framework uh, that no one's uh, vote can be suppressed, uh, removed, uh, pushed aside, or marginalized. And you want to see Congress pass voting rights legislation by Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which is Monday, January 17th. Absolutely. Uh, We're asking for uh, legislators to to stand up. We we need Biden uh, and uh, President Biden and Vice President uh, Harris to stand up and do not come to someone's church or organization and say you remember Dr. King while at the same time dismembering the legacy of Dr. King by removing voting rights of people across this country. So how are you doing? You're, you're six days into your strike. Are you okay? <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing all right. Uh, obviously, you know, tired and getting those, those headaches, mm-hmm. but uh, strengthened by the sisters and brothers uh, who are joining with us, uh, the, the 24 initial, and now more people uh, who are joining in, uh, not just for the hunger strike, but 
uh, who are calling on their legislators. And that's what I want to say to everyone on, on the show. Uh, for you to call uh, your representative, to call your senator. Do they support uh, the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Advancement Act? Uh, do they uh, support the Freedom to Vote Act? If you have uh, relatives in West Virginia and Arizona, call those relatives and say that this is not a partisan issue. Voting should never be a partisan issue. This is about maintaining our democracy for the next generation. Let's talk about January 6th. That's when you, you started your strike on, on the anniversary. Uh, what's the significance of that uh, attack, and, and why did you stop eating on that day? Well, that was, that was an attack on, on, on our democracy. That was an insurrection uh, that was, in many ways, fed by uh, a Confederate mythos that has been floating through uh, the, 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 uh, our civic society for quite, quite some time. And we thought that it would be important as a statement, uh, the moment that democracy was attacked, that the community, uh, faith leaders, especially those in the black church, in the progressive wing of the black church, uh, uh, would come together and say that for, uh, for years we have pushed for voting rights. And what's very interesting is that uh, people of African descent, many of them, have not had full enfranchisement in this country since, since 1965. Uh, and, and we need to be very aware of the thing that uh, our democracy is fragile. And we saw that on January 6th. And we believe uh, that people uh, who are uh, morally rooted, who recognize how important voting rights uh, are to this country, stand up and speak. If I may share a story, uh, my sure. uh, grandfather, uh, Otis Moss Sr., was denied the right to vote in 1947 in, in Georgia. He walked to three polling places. We even created a movie around it entitled Otis's Dream. Uh, at each polling place, uh, he was met with racist language, and he was a sharecropper and a World War II veteran and never had the opportunity to vote. The then governor, Governor Talmadge, was stating that he wanted to ensure voter integrity and make sure that there was no Negro fraud to ensure that uh, Negroes would not vote. But my grandfather, a sharecropper, believed that if he could serve this country, he, could, he should also have the right to vote in this country, and it should not be denied. He died before he had the opportunity to vote, but he passed that legacy on to my father and to myself. And I pass that on to my children. So we, we talked about this a little bit before you touched on them. There are a couple of pieces of legislation that we could see passed if the filibuster is lifted. Now, regardless Correct. of which exact package is voted on, let's talk about the ones you think are, are the most important measures that the mm -hmm. nation put in place. Uh, you, you already talked about the John Lewis Voting mm -hmm. Rights Advancement Act, right? That's the one that replaces the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Correct. That, uh, was struck down in, in 2013 by the Supreme Court. Talk to me about the Freedom to Vote Act. Uh, the Freedom to Vote Act, which is already put before uh, the Senate, uh, which would create a, a national framework uh, in terms of, of, of voting, uh, the idea of mail-in voting, uh, uh, polling places. What is the national structure uh, that you would have uh, the ability to be able to uh, to vote if you speak a different language, to have the translation 
of, of information, some very basic ideas of, with the Freedom to Vote Act that would then be national legislation versus states making the decision and states' rights, which has been used, especially post um, Civil War and during the Reconstruction era, post Reconstruction, uh, to to thwart any type of voting rights advancements uh, for people who were not landowners, who were not white, uh, who were not men. Uh, that states' rights has always been the language or the code to say that we want to restrict certain people's right to vote. As you continue your strike, Reverend, who's on your mind? Is it uh, folks like Martin Luther King Jr., John Lewis? It's my grandfather um, who died in in an automobile accident several months before he was going to be able to cast uh, a vote. He he was denied the first time. He was hoping to have the opportunity the next time. Uh, It is uh, Henry Peg Gilbert, uh, who is my cousin, who was uh, beaten and lynched in 1948 because he owned land and he also believed in the right uh, to vote. Uh, it is people like James Orange, uh, who was an amazing organizer uh, in, in Atlanta, who worked with John Lewis, Andrew Young, and Martin Luther King Jr., who used to organize students and tell them, you know you're a leader. You've got to stand up and be a leader. I remember when he was an elder coming on Morehouse's campus and pulling us together and saying, hey, leader, uh, it's your job to take hold of, of, of this baton. Those are the people who, who, who my, where my mind rests. My mind rests on Fannie Lou Hamer, uh, who is probably one of the greatest organizers we have, we've ever witnessed mm-hmm. uh, in Mississippi. And what she was able to accomplish and literally just about shut down the Democratic National Convention uh, because she dared organize people in Mississippi uh, to claim uh, the right to vote. Our ancestors are numerous and they are calling upon us to stand up and hold to this legacy because whenever black people push for voting rights, it always blesses everyone in the nation. We're not just about democracy for some, we're about democracy for all. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons and with us is Reverend Otis Moss III. He has joined a group of two dozen religious leaders from around the country on a hunger strike They're urging Congress to pass voting rights legislation. Uh, Reverend uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris, they're going to be talking about voting rights legislation today at about 240 from Atlanta. Uh, We're going to be carrying that speech live here on WBEZ. Now, the president described Georgia as, quote, the belly of the beast, ground zero for voter suppression. People there can now be charged with a crime for handing out water or snacks to the voters who are waiting in line at the polls. What do you make of that? I think it's continual. Uh, it's, it's part of the process that has been happening in this country, uh, again, since uh, people of African descent have arrived. States' rights, the state legislature of, of Georgia, when Stacey Abrams ran for governor, there was a voter purge. I want, I want the listeners to know this. There was a voter purge almost 200,000 people who were eligible to vote, their votes were thrown out. Stacey Abrams lost by 80,000 votes. These type of actions have to be removed. 
we need a national framework to protect everyone's right to vote. Otherwise, we will cease to be a democracy. And Georgia's not alone. There, there are many states that have passed laws restricting voting rights. Uh, let's go through some of them. Texas, uh, they've mm-hmm. made it harder for people with uh, language barriers or disabilities to get help casting their ballot. Uh, Florida as well. They passed a, a broad package of legislation uh, that's limiting voting access. And let's be honest about why these, these laws are being passed. There's a shifting demographic, and there are certain political parties that believe in order for us to stay in power, we have to limit the right to vote. That's not the way you do it. You, you work on your platform. You work on your policy. You share your message. You don't attack democracy and keep people from voting. In Texas, the shifting demographics of, of people – uh, who are Latinx, who are Latino, who are in, in that space. Uh, same thing uh, in Florida, but also in Texas. And I think students need to know this. They have made it more difficult. If you are a student, a college student in Texas, for you to vote in the state of Texas, making the claim that you don't live there. Well, you know, if, if when my, my son is at Morehouse College, he lives in Atlanta. Yeah. He comes home to visit us. But he votes in Atlanta now. And as a matter of fact, he will be at that speech today at, at 2.40. Well, speaking of that speech at 2.40, what exactly are you listening for from the president? I'll be listening that he will, one, push forward for a national framework that here you have the most experienced legislator uh, who's worked in the Senate. There is no other person uh, currently functioning in government that has the experience in terms of hammering out deals like Joe Biden. I want him to put the full force of his intellect in his office in order to pass a national framework, not an executive order. We need national protection. That is what I'm going to be listening for. And if the Democratic Party fumbles the ball on this, then there are going to be serious repercussions uh, coming from a variety of communities, especially uh, the African-American church, because we have been supportive of, of the Democratic Party. But this is at the heart of democracy. If we lose our ability to be able to vote, it will have a chilling effect uh, upon this nation. And there'll be generations that are not yet born who will be looking back at us. Uh, not weeping, but with anger of how we could not stand up uh, for the democracy uh, that we know is to be the yet-to-be United States of America. Do you find yourself stunned, or maybe it's just disappointment, uh, that more than 50 years after Dr. King's assassination, we're still dealing with something like voter suppression? It's a continual fight. I'm, I'm not stunned. I'm, I'm not surprised. This is a continual fight. Yeah. In... I believe it was 1863, where you had uh, the black codes that were put in place across the South uh, to restrict voting and the vagrancy laws uh, to really re-enslave 500,000 African Americans through what we would call the sharecropping system, and today we would call mass incarceration, the way they were placed in in prison. Uh, The poll taxes, there's there's always been an opposition to living out the the promises of, of America because people have been focused on how can I personally benefit, how can I 
make money off of this uh, particular legislation. But I believe uh, that it is the role of every citizen, and especially people who claim to be people of faith, to ensure that everyone has the right to vote regardless of your political position, regardless of your spiritual or religious affiliation, if you are humanist or atheist or agnostic, all of us deserve the right to vote in this nation. That is the only way that we will protect this nation for future generations. It's not through corporations. It's not through tax cuts. uh, It's not through that. It's through ensuring that we have the right to vote. Do you have a set date for when you'll eat again if if Congress doesn't pass this legislation? No, <laughs> no, I don't. We've been talking about that. We'll be meeting tonight, actually. Yeah, hey, uh, we meet every evening, uh, okay. and we pray every evening, and then we do our strategy sessions every uh, every evening. And uh, we have not yet uh, set uh, set a time period, but this is part of a larger fight. We do know that uh, because even if we pass the legislation. Uh, there are forces at work uh, that will begin that are attempting to undermine things on a local level uh, from uh, everything from school boards to uh, to to judges to see if they can chip away at at particular legislative actions. And so we want to make sure that we are standing firm for uh, for our for our community and for the nation. Before I let you go, Reverend, I'm curious. Do you get pushback from parishioners or church leaders when you step away from the pulpit and into the political arena? Well, I'm so delighted that I'm a part of Trinity United Church of Christ. And especially within the, in the black church tradition, there is not a demarcation between uh, community and also church. There is an expectation that the minister will speak about how do you set the oppressed free? Uh, how do you uh, feed the hungry? And those are concerns, if you break down the word politics, which is polis, which means affairs of the city. And there's an expectation that if I'm to be the true pastor of, of Trinity, that I've got to be concerned about the affairs of the city and the spiritual, physical, and mental well-being of the community. That's Reverend Otis Moss III of Chicago's Trinity United Church of Christ. Thank you so much for joining us, Reverend. Thank you. And good luck. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.